VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living, and I am Patricia Raskin, and proud to say that I have been on Voice America now. I'm in my, I think, sixth or seventh year. I was one of the, one of the early folks on Voice America because I really believed, as they do, that information is power and the Internet is the future, and the future is now. And the Internet is so powerful, and it's such a wonderful way to get across this kind of information, which is positive, which is energizing, which is healing, which is inspirational, and which helps us live the kind of lives we want. And that's what this is all about. If you are listening today live, Monday, May 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern 11 or 11 a.m. Pacific, then call us at 866-472-5788, let's see, 866-472-5788. We're talking today about the amazing success of modern orphanages and how folks who've been through orphanages can become successful and just success stories of children who had beginnings that might have been troubled or might have been difficult. And my guest today is Martha Randolph Carr. She is the creator and executive director of the Shared Abundance Foundation and the Family Tree Project. She is a journalist who frequently writes for the Washington Post and also Meredith Vieira's website, Club Mom and Ideal Lives.com. And Martha is the author of the new book, A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. Welcome, Martha. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's really good. You know, um, what I really loved about this book is that it looks at, when you think of the word orphan, you know, I mean, if we look, orphan Annie, you know, what's the first thing you think about? This little kid in rags, you know, (laughs) staying there in tattered clothes. And that's sort of the image we have. And what you're saying is, no, no, it doesn't have to be like that at all. In fact, it can be the opposite. Talk about the success of orphanages. Uh, and, And we are talking about U.S. orphanages which I think most people in this country don't realize even still exist, much less are doing as well as they are. Um, Little Orphan Annie, in the first place, was fiction and was a group home. Um, An orphanage, a better visual for an orphanage would be uh, an upscale boarding school on a green leafy campus uh, that has extra services and also takes... um, takes into consideration that they will probably be the family for this child when they're in college and beyond. So they mm-hmm. create a system where, because um, uh, we all want a place to keep coming home to, a place to call home. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, orphanages, for the most part, closed in the 1980s in this country or became uh, treatment centers. But there are currently about 600,000 children in our country in need of a stable home, and the number of foster care families is declining. So... Orphanages that have always existed uh, found their doors being um, uh, run down by kids in need, and so uh, about 15 to 20 new homes are opening. But, you know, that's not even the best part, uh, or if there Mm -hmm. is a good part. It's that the simple statistic that more kids go on to college in the U.S. from orphanages than from the general population. Really? Now, that's amazing. Why is that, Martha? 
Um, I think from I spent two years uh, visiting homes and uh, asking questions and looking at the research, and it appears that um, they, you know, as in as exactly as in the nuclear family, they are teaching the kids to expect to go to college. That um, every issue that comes up in life has more to do with how we approach it than whether or not we're special or whether or not we come from money. Um, it's really, when you come from a family where everybody ahead of you went to college, you grow up with this certainty that, of course, you will as well because the people that you are closest to manage to figure it out. And so these homes are managing to take children who come from chaotic backgrounds where there may have been addiction or poverty or illness and there may have been truancy and abuse even. Mm-hmm. And they're teaching them that all things are possible, you just need to break them down. Yeah. Now, you call these, in the book, you call them, present-day orphanages are not called orphanages. They're called REFs, Residential Education Facilities. Right. And if you think about those words, they kind of add up to orphanage because it's a residential. Most of them have a school on the property. And um, and that was done mainly because uh, the word orphanage for us is radioactive. The interesting thing, though, was when I kept interviewing alumni of orphanages, especially the older alumni, they're insulted when you don't use the word orphanage because they feel like the whole image has been co-opted. It's back to the little orphan Annie idea. Mm-hmm. And they would prefer that we wise up so that they can begin to talk about their childhood. Mm-hmm. Now, these facilities, are these state-run as, for example, um, prison facilities are run? I don't mean to compare that, but are they state-run or are they privately run? They are privately run, and another interesting thing is that uh, for the vast majority, more than 75% of their budget actually comes from private sources such as corporations or donations. There's even a home in uh, South Dakota that has an annual budget of $5 million that comes completely from checks $100 or less. Mm. And um, it's interesting that you would say prison because one of my favorite statistics is in the state of Texas, it costs 50000 a year to incarcerate a youth. And, um, you know, we don't have any problem building um, correctional facilities Mm -hmm. for children, but it only costs $28,000 a year to save them at the Happy Hill Farm Academy, which is right outside of Dallas. Interesting. So almost half of the the cost, and it's all private funds, and instead you have a child who will go on to college. And um, I remember interviewing one young lady at the Happy Hill Farm and asking her where she thought she'd be if she hadn't, uh, come to the home, and she was a senior getting ready to go to college, and very matter-of-factly, she said, um, jail. She said, that's mm. where I was headed. And mm. um, so the turnaround in lives, and then, you know, the unforeseen, she's going to go on to probably, statistically, get married, stay married, mm-hmm. have children. Okay, Martha, so, what, what turns these kids around? So when you said she was headed to jail, what is it that prevented that? Well, when she showed up at the farm, um, she was, like most other kids who come to these places, angry, detached, and uh, not very trusting, and um, was not used to trying or following through. There's a wall I think each home consistently talks about that the kids get to and have never tried to cross over where things get tough. And what the adults do is meet that with um, an unflagging faith that they can actually get further. And so they take the drama out of situations and instead uh, wait the child out with love and keep saying, I know you can do it and mm-hmm. I'm just going to be here till you do. Goes back really... to that same thing about love, doesn't it? Yes. Love and acceptance. Unconditional love and yeah. acceptance. 
and yeah. mixed with it the idea that this child can empower themselves. Mm-hmm. So do these kids have parents or other family members, and if they do, do they stay connected? Uh, that's a great question because we have another myth in this country that um, we do that we've ever had a large number of true orphans where there wasn't a living parent or close relative, and that's not actually true. We, they've always been mostly social orphans where there have been family members, and um, yes, sometimes you have family members who do work very hard to stay close, and maybe mm-hmm. it was the loss of a spouse or um, unemployment or an illness that the parent knew they could no longer provide for the child and looked for the best alternative. That was my next question, was how do these kids, in quotes, and I'm using the quotes, become orphans? You know, is it that their parents can't handle them anymore? Is it that somebody put, you know, puts them on the street, you know, like, like the burning bush and Moses in the basket? <laughs> I mean, right. how, how do they become orphans? Every way imaginable. You know, there's a great story in the book about Eddie Gamble. He, um, his mother, he's from Chicago, and his mother unfortunately chose the boyfriend and kicked Eddie out at about the age of 14, and Mm. Eddie took to the streets. But he had a real desire to um, not only survive but thrive. He spent two years on the street when he heard about Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago. It's a Catholic orphanage, and um, he called them himself. And the great story, part about that story, too, is that the home could not get the mother to come in and sign anything. And rather than leave Eddie on the streets or put him in foster care, they took him in and, um, and did the paperwork later. And, and uh, everybody at the home consistently talked about how moving it was when Eddie saw his room for the first time because it was the first bed he had had in two years. He'd been sleeping on the L or in hallways or anywhere he could find. And now the best part, too, is that Eddie is now um, an investigator for the state attorney general's office in Illinois, and he's happily married, and he has a child. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you think about that, you know, having been on the streets in a sense, you know, would be really good, very good background for him doing the work he's doing. So, so many times the lessons we've learned and the hardships we've had are the, the, you know, sort of the groundbreakers for what we're going to do and the pathways for what we're going to do next. Absolutely, and I also think about Eddie's the first person in his family to uh, graduate from high school, and so his child his will grow up believing that not only should he grow, um, expect to graduate from high school, high school, but go to college. So it breaks the generational chains. Yeah, and, and it's going to benefit the neighborhoods that um, Eddie chooses to live in, and every other kid out there. It changes so much that we don't even realize when uh, each individual becomes a contributor to society yeah. instead of a drain. Martha, how did you come about doing this research? I mean, what interested you about this topic? You know, I came about it in a completely backwards way. Somebody was sending out an email asking for donations, very simple donations, for an orphanage in Rwanda called the Imbabazi, which means Mother's Love. And uh, I wrote an editorial about it, and someone asked me if I would be interested in writing a book about U.S. orphanages. And like anybody else, I didn't really know they existed still. And when I went to do the research to find out how much had been written about them, I found out no one had written a single thing about them um, in a book for 60 years. And I thought that was so odd given the Internet and 24-hour news. And a lot of the homes, even though they'd existed for generations, didn't even know about each other. So it became this interesting journey that then became very personal because um, while in the midst of the research, my um, son became, uh, it became obvious that he was an alcoholic as a teenager and, uh, the bo- and he bottomed out. 
And at one point, um, I found out uh, that Mercy Home, which is the only place in the country, has a program for older young men from about 18 to 23, and they um, teach them all the things they miss. They're not a treatment facility, but they, they teach young men who need more help. Mm-hmm. And so I told my son, Louie, that I wouldn't save him, but maybe this place would, and they had one bed, and he lives there now, and uh, he's in college doing extremely well. He had a 4.0 last semester. And so it ended up being this very personal story that I went back and told as well because I wanted people in the suburbs to understand that it's not always the image you have either of who ends up in an orphanage or what can be done. Mm-hmm. All right. And on that note, we're going to go to break. My guest today is Martha Randolph Carr, and her book is A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. And Martha uh, has written this book really because of her own interest. She is the founder of the Shared Abundance Foundation that provides college scholarships to residents of residential education facilities and the Family Tree Project that uses the web to reconnect former residents. She's a frequent contributor to the Washington Post and a columnist for clubmom.com and ideallives.com. And uh, what is the website, Martha, that people can go on to? It is www.sharedabundance.us. Okay, sharedabundance.us. All right, again, you're listening to Positive Living. If you have any calls of any interest or any questions about orphanages or any personal stories or questions for Martha, give us a call after the break at 866-462-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? 
Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Well, hello, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And you can give us a call here. If you are listening live on Monday, May 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Pacific, you can call us at 866-472-5788. And if not, you can listen to the archives that are on voiceamerica.com. Just type in Raskin under host or raskinresources.com, and that will lead you uh, to the program. Okay, we are talking today about modern orphanages and how children and young adults and adolescents from modern orphanages today can lead very healthy, healthy, and productive lives. And my guest today is Martha Randolph Carr. Her book is A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. Martha Randolph Carr is the creative and executive director of the Shared Abundance Foundation and the Family Tree Project. She is a nationally syndicated columnist through Kegel Syndicates, and she's a speaker for the New Voice Speakers Bureau, which she created and founded. Welcome back, Martha. Thank you very much. And we also want to say that you are a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. Right. Right. Like my little 200-year-old claim to fame. Oh, and was and there was a Martha Randolph Carr, his sister, who I was named for. Isn't that amazing. Okay. You know, in going back to talking about orphanages, these kids who, as you said, come to the orphanage in many different ways, whether right. they've been kicked out or whether someone, the parent gets sick and can't take care of them and doesn't right. have the money to take care of them. You know, what happens to kids who, for example, have been in anywhere between three and five foster homes and now they're in this new home? How do you help them, or how do they learn how to bond and release their anger? That, you know, that's a great question because, uh, like, for example, in the state of Illinois, um, kids who do end up at orphanages uh, have been in, on average, nine foster care placements. Mm. And in Virginia, oh, five. I, that's a lot. That is a lot. I don't mm. think a, many adults could really withstand that many times moving everything they own and everyone they know. And so you truly are dealing with a child who has... Who doesn't uh, trust. Who doesn't trust, who has very strong issues with trust and um, has every reason to have those issues. Mm -hmm. And so really what you're talking about is time and consistency and not being angry uh, back to them. You know, these are children who are very good at knowing how to push buttons, and partially they're doing it to see where the limits are. Will you end up being the same? And then another thing um, is that they come from chaotic backgrounds. They may have gone through more chaotic backgrounds, and they don't know anything else. 
And even though they may have seen the ideal family on TV or in movies, it doesn't mean that they honestly believe it exists. So often um, these kids wanted to stay in even horrid backgrounds because they believe every background is similar to that, and at least these are people they know. It takes a while for the kid to really buy into, no, things are different here. You will get to eat three times a day. It will be consistent. You will have a structured bedtime. This will be your bed. And these adults will speak to you in a loving uh, tone. And that's amazing because we take those things so for granted. But it takes time for these kids to understand just that the basics will be consistent. Well, but are there trained professionals working with these kids so that when they resist, when they talk back, and when they don't really believe the kindness? You know, I, I think of the movie the movie that I'm thinking of with, um, it'll come to me, Matt Damon and Robin Williams, the right. very same, well, Robin Williams won the Academy Award, and he was, he was brilliant, and he worked almost as, as like a janitor for a little while, but he right. had a brilliant mind. Can't remember the name of the movie, but the point is that he was in therapy with Robin Williams, and he kept pushing Robin yes. Williams and pushing him, and, and Robin really, and it wasn't until the very end you know, when Robin said, you know, I love you and it wasn't your fault and it was it was really hard to get through to this young man. Well, you can understand, you know, it's like in our lives too. You have your heart broken enough, you learn not to trust your heart. And uh, that's what it takes, though, to bond with people is to allow your heart to be opened yet again. But it takes... Um, the knowledge that this time it will be rewarded. And, um, yes, these are all trained professionals. That is actually, I think, one of the bigger advantages over foster care is that uh, you have people who this is their profession, and they don't have to then go to another job in order to pay the bills. This is what they do. And they generally um, live on campus. And so there is so much consistency and so much focus on the child And um, the people um, are trained, and they also have many, the adults have a lot of support around them as well, because these people are still human beings as well, and um, these are kids who kind of in their own strange way are are trained to push buttons. Yes, and the name of that movie was Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, yes. And it, it really, it really think is a good example of that, that he had just been abused or he had been not cared for in so many ways emotionally and just kept pushing people away. And that's, you know, that's something that probably um, kids who've been in five or six or seven foster homes will do. Oh, absolutely. It's the safer thing to do. It's a way of protecting themselves for survival. Exactly. And um, But then you get to um, a place like um, Girard College, and the college is a misnomer. Um, it's just the title of the place, but it's for kids in Philadelphia. And um, you see kids who um, are learning to uh, believe in the possibilities. I was um, When I visited there, I talked mostly to a group of eighth-grade girls. And when I asked them what profession they wanted to be, um, most of them wanted to be lawyers. And um, not only did they know what a lawyer was, they even knew to break it down because there were a million different kinds of being a lawyer. Now, why would they pick lawyer? Because the school has this great program where they first get kids at the beginning of middle school to write down 
what kind of things they would like to have in their life. Then they break down how much those things will cost, then how much you would have to earn in order to get those things, and what professions would support a lifestyle like that. And slowly but surely, they work it back. And what they're doing is they're saying, the consequence of how hard you work now will lead to this. And they make it so that the kids now understand the connection. And, you know, think about it. If you have a parent who is, um, for example, my late father was a minister, and so I knew that because he was a minister, he was able to afford to do this. And in order to be a minister, he had to study from here to there. And so I could see it because I'd been told it, and I, ha- I visually had experience with it. Well, these kids have no experience with connecting the dots, and what the school, Gerard College, was doing was connecting the dots. And the kids then um, knew they wanted to either be an entertainment lawyer or they wanted to be a family court lawyer. And they knew why, and they were still able to mix their personality into it. I thought it was great. Mm. You know, everything that you say really leads to hope. I mean, you, you know, you, we're looking at this and we're saying, yes, there are lots of issues. But with the right care and the right understanding and nurturing and people who are patient and understand the sort of the, the history that these kids can can really make a life for themselves. And, you, and you're proving that by saying that so many of them go to college and become successful. Vast majority. And also, too, I think uh, there's a tendency to, for uh, in our culture to believe that once a child hits a certain age, perhaps around 14 or 15, if they are in a certain amount of trouble, perhaps all, it's lost. Perhaps they can only um, turn their life around but so much. And uh, these homes are consistently proving that that is completely false, that there is no such thing as a throwaway life, and that there is no child out there who can't um, be um, helped and to choose which future they want. It's an amazing thing to watch. And also, um, if anyone who is in a job they don't like, in a marriage that isn't going well, or just is afraid to step out into their dreams, this book will uh, inspire you to do that because that's what these kids are doing. They are, they are letting go of everything they've known, and so are the adults who work with them because in order to work with these kids, these adults have um, donated their life as if a calling. You know, if you and I wanted to go to the movies, we would make a date, choose the movie, go. But when you work um, in a home, you really have to make – it's really going to be much, a lot more planning because your life is devoted to these children, and yet these adults decided to do this and open their hearts as well. So um, I think anybody could learn that anything is possible. What really is required of us is to let go. Mm. All right, and before we close on this segment, I want to read a couple of quotes from folks from your book. Bob Danzing, who's the former CEO of Hearst Newspapers, writes, Martha Randolph Carr invites the reader to a journey through the change stories in those facilities once known as orphanages. You will see the parallels in your own life's victories. And Heidi Goldsmith, who's the founder and executive director of CORE, which is Coalition for Residential Education, states, the American public needs light shed on the important and re-emerging option of boarding schools and children's homes for children and youth whose families cannot care for them. Martha Randolph Carr lets us reconsider the former orphanage as a value solution for an at-risk youth. So this is really important because you are really showing us another side, uh, reawakening us and saying, you know, it's it's not the way we think it is. Right. And there's so much hope for these kids who are sometimes stigmatized. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. also, there isn't perhaps a lot in the news these days that can make us feel good as a country. Yes. And here we're doing something very well, and we don't even know it. Mm. All right. We're going to go to break. My guest is Martha Randolph Carr, and her book is A Place to Call Home. She's the founder of the Shared Abundance Foundation, which provides scholarships to residents of residential education facilities, former orphanages, and the Family Tree Project that uses the web to connect former residents. And so certainly we will talk about this project uh, very soon. As soon as we come back for the break, we'll talk about the Family Tree Project. Martha is also a nationally syndicated columnist for Cagle Syndicates, and she speaks for the New Voice Speakers Movement Bureau, which she founded and created for the New Voice to really spread consciousness. So, folks, you're listening to Positive Living. If you'd like to call in after the break, if you have questions about children who are at risk, resources for them, who are in families that, you know, that really are um, having trouble keeping their children and they need an alternative, give us a call. Really do that at 866-472-5788 if you're listening live on Monday, May 19th, between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and between 11 and noon Pacific. And if not, certainly you can write to, uh, what is the name of the website again? SharedAbundance.us. Okay, SharedAbundance.us and ask your questions. And all these all these shows are archived on RaskinResources.com through VoiceAmerica.com. Okay, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. 
Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Voiceamerica.com. everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And you can call us, if you're listening live today on Monday, May 19th, you can call us at 866-472-5788. We are talking today about the success of modern orphanages with my guest, Martha Randolph Carr, who is the author of A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. Martha Randolph Carr is the creator and executive director of the Shared Abundance Foundation and the Family Tree Project. She is a nationally syndicated columnist for Cagle Syndicates, and she speaks for the New Voice Speakers Movement Bureau, which she founded and created. You can write your questions to sharedabundance.us if you are looking for a place for someone who may need um, another place to live. And in the back of this book, place to call home are a list of facilities and also a list of parenting tips for folks that will help them. So there, there's a lot of resources here. Welcome back, Martha. Thank you. Okay, and, and you have a list here of how to help the Abundance Foundation, the Virginia Home for Boys and Girls, Gerard College, Happy right. Home Farm, I mean many, but says the home, there's quite a few, Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. Right. I mean, there's a lot here, St. Joseph's Indian School. Yes, um, and um, the, I mean, and there's more. There, yes, and there's more. And though each of those schools is uniquely different, um, but each has something to offer. And if uh, someone is listening, and they know of a child that's at risk, um, there is help, and uh, people should keep that in mind. There is help. There's never too late. Okay, what can we learn from these these teenagers, children, students, young adults? What can we learn from them as we raise our own teens? Um, we can learn not to, two things, not to buy into the anger and respond in kind, to try and look beyond that, and also to not um, enable. Um, I remember uh, being at lunch uh, with the principal of the lower school at Bethesda Home, and um, the kids were told that there was only going to be 15 minutes left to lunch, and one girl chose to, a second grader chose to go and talk to her friends instead. And when the bell rang, all the trees were cleaned up, and she came and asked where her lunch was, and it was cleaned up. And instead of complaining or whining, um, she said, oh, okay. And it was truly an acceptance on her part that um, there are consequences for action, and you, there's no need to add drama. And um, most of us who have kids, we're, we're used to a little bit more of an argument. And uh, I think what these kids have learned is that life, it's truly empowering to know your life is your own. Sure, you have to accept the, con- the probable consequence, but you don't need to add drama. And life tends to go more smoothly and you become more creative. Well, and maybe because they've, they've been through a lot, 
that they can accept these things that aren't, it may be as big a deal to other kids who haven't been through trauma? Um, you know, actually, it's kind of the opposite. Really? Because, yes, because they're used to, before they came, they're used to arguing for everything in mm. order to get the simplest things. And uh, what they've learned is to, you know, it's kind of a great sign when they stop arguing because they're starting to accept that the basics will be provided and that the universe is a kind place. It was more refreshing. You know, I know a lot of adults who still complain. And uh, it's, it's very empowering because I know that, therefore, when they hit a roadblock, you know, life is still going to offer you things to work on. And the difference is when these kids hit one of those places, they'll know to ask for help, first of all, and uh, they'll know to accept help, and they'll also know to break it down. What's, what can I do today that will help this problem? And then I'm going to let it go. There's much more of a confidence and a calm about them that is really amazing to see. And that's the strength, isn't it? Absolutely. And there are about, right at the moment, there are about 120 orphanages in this country. There are about 15 new ones opening up mostly on the West Coast. And they serve, at the moment, about 18,000 children. However, keep in mind, there are 600,000 children in this country who are in need of a stable home, with the number of foster care homes declining. So um, there are ways in each community where we can get involved to help um, create something that will benefit everyone. So what do we do if we are listening to this and we have a friend who can no longer care for their child or we know of a child in trouble who needs a place to live? What do we do? How can we help? Uh, the first thing you can you can do is, um, for example, you can look in the back of the book for resources that are close to your home or go to sharedabundance.us, and um, you can start to look for ways to at least help the children to get the process started because um, you don't want the children to age out. In other words, you don't want them to uh, creep towards 18 because we were all hoping the adults would snap out of it. And... Um, there are plenty of examples also, including in the book, where um, the family, a part of a family was helped. You know, two children went to Happy Hill Farm Academy, two didn't. And the two that did um, are, uh, went to college, have great jobs, successful careers, and the two that did not are struggling, just struggling with the most basic of, of um, things, such as holding a job. So um, I think if you know of a child or you are a child, because there are, were instances where the child called themselves and uh, you know help is needed, don't wait um, mm. because that child is in a situation where they are suffering. Don't wait. There is help, and it can be help for the entire family. It doesn't necessarily mean just mm. the child. One of the things in your book in the end is, is our parenting tips, and we were talking about what can we learn from these kids. And these are parenting tips from these different homes, from the Virginia home, from the Happy Hill Farm Academy, from Gerard College. I'm just going to read a couple from each of them. Okay. Okay, from Virginia Home for Boys and Girls, provide unconditional love and respect. Modeling is one of the most powerful means by which we all learn. You are your child's most powerful role model. And then praise frequently and criticize sparingly. Those are three from there. Um, Of course, listening is important. Uh, 20 tips from Gerard College. Be consistent, firm, and fair. Learn how to say no. Encourage your child to learn how to love to read. 10 parenting tips from the Happy Hill Farm Academy. Teach your children to think about others and not just themselves. Uh, Learn the art of listening to your children. Your children must understand clearly what you expect of them. Then tips from the Bethesda Home for Boys. Admit your mistakes. No one is perfect. Be humble and ask for forgiveness. 
Give children your most valuable resource, time. Provide consistent boundaries. This is where children find security. And tips from Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. Show interest in their schoolwork. Smile and let them see how proud you are. Parenting doesn't have to be a struggle. Be firm, fair, consistent. Avoid power struggles to help build healthy relationships. And then attach the consequence to the behavior, not to the person. So those are some really good ones, and there's like many on each for each school. And also another interesting little fact um, about Bethesda Home for Boys is it's, uh, it predates the country. It was started before the United States of America began, and it um, has survived being blown down by a hurricane. Um, Sherman marched through there. Really? And, uh, it was the only thing it didn't, they didn't burn. It's uh, located uh, in Savannah, Georgia, and it runs along the Moon River uh, that Andy Williams made famous, and it's still in operation. Mm-hmm. Was that an orphanage? That, and, was an, like, that was a traditional orphanage. Well, it was a traditional orphanage in the sense that, like the others, but as I mentioned before, even in the beginning of the country, most of the children that have always been in orphanages had a living parent or close relative and really were social orphans. We really, in, uh, in this country, have bought into the fiction. And, um, for example, um, I used to live in Richmond, Virginia, where Virginia Home for Boys and Girls is. And um, it sits behind a strip mall on a beautiful campus, and nobody knew it was there. Um, it was kind of fun to keep saying, did you know what's behind the four eyes? Because um, it's on a main thoroughfare, and nobody knows it. And so it is amazing what a well-kept, successful secret orphanages in America are. Mm-hmm. You know, at one point in your life, you sent your son to a home. Correct. Why did you do that, and how has it worked out? Um, my son, um, we, uh, we used to—I used to take care of my father, and um, uh, he passed away while I was researching the book. And that was my son's best friend, and his life—he uh, was a teenager at the time, and his life unraveled underneath him. And um, he became an alcoholic as a teenager, which is actually probably when it usually starts. And fortunately. Um, Partially because of the research I was doing, I learned not to rescue him. And I gave him the chance to rescue himself, and it was a blessing that he took it. And he went to Mercy Home for Boys and Girls, and they're not a treatment facility. He um, found um, a 12-step program, and, uh, but they taught him all the things that he had missed, and they mostly taught him to believe that in himself. The most amazing transformation I've watched in Louis, and I told his story with permission, from him is that um, he now believes that uh, life will not drown him and that uh, no problem is so great it cannot be made better. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't live life with a certain amount of fear that, of what may come. Instead, he's got his arms open. And it's a wonderful thing to have witnessed. It is a wonderful thing to have witnessed. And so, Was it hard for you to do this, Martha? Absolutely. It was tremendously hard. And what, did you feel guilty? Um, I think you don't get to be a, uh, through parenting without feeling guilt. But um, I wanted more than anything for my son to be happy and to feel like he had any control over his life. Why did you think that this would do it? Um, it I was um, convinced from watching other kids that it was possible, and I knew that uh, Louis was in a place where he needed something. And so it was more done on a prayer. And it was a miracle because he sobered up. 
in a day. And I know really. Yes, I know everyone who's listening, who's ever been through a 12-step program or knows someone who does, would find that hard to believe. And so do I. And I think about that all the time. How long did he live in the, in the home? He is still there. He's actually still there. So he has been there now for um, almost two years, and um, he is doing amazingly well. And he is studying to be a social worker, and um, he is a confident young man. And, and it's amazing to have seen. And he grew up with every advantage, but needed this outside resource to give him those elements that suddenly slipped out from under him. And you felt that he should stay there even, you felt he should stay there, that that would be important. Absolutely. I knew that I couldn't help him. And I knew that uh, his choices were becoming limited by his own behavior. Mm -hmm. And that he really didn't know how to take care of himself. And he didn't believe he could. Mm -hmm. And the main thing he has learned from, just like all the other kids, he has learned that he can. And it's been amazing. All right. My guest is Martha Randolph Carr, and her book is A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. You can log on to sharedabundance.us. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. All Things Music with composer and songwriter Tara Tucker brings to the Voice America channel music genres not typically heard on your FM radio dial. World music, folk, indie, classical, religious, early medieval. What you won't hear is top 40, rap, or rock, or celebrity news from the streets, or the tabloids of Hollywood. Each week, Tara will showcase a different musical style, the musicians who perform it, the history behind it, and she promises to broaden your musical horizons. Tune in Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Pacific to All Things Music with Tara Tucker on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Still time to call in at 866-472-5788 if you're listening Monday, May 19th between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon Pacific. And if you have any questions about 
um, modern orphanages or if you know a child or a teen who's troubled and needs a place to live or really needs some help. We have a wonderful guest on today who's quite inspirational, and she's done her research. Her name is Martha Randolph Carr, and her book is A Place to Call Home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. Martha Randolph Carr is the creator and executive director of the Shared Abundance Foundation and the Family Tree Project. She is a nationally syndicated columnist with Kegel Syndicates, and she's a speaker for the New Voice Speakers Bureau, which she founded and created. Welcome back, Martha. Thanks. And if anybody has any questions about um, special places for kids who need them to live and to grow, I mean, Martha had her own son in one of these facilities, which really helped him to grow and change and become a very responsible young man who is uh, happy. Correct, Martha? Correct. And you can log on to sharedabundance.us. Let's talk about the Family Tree Project, which you started, which is working to reunite thousands of older alumni of U.S. orphanages who cannot find each other. Right. Um, When I was researching the book, um, I kept hearing uh, older alumni of U.S. orphanages, no matter what home that they had been in or what part of the country, they referred to the people they grew up with as brother and sister. And uh, I was struck by that and that um, there was a profound sadness over they couldn't find each other. A lot of the homes had closed, and with it went the Alumni Association and the records. And Mm -hmm. some of them had never had Alumni Associations. And then when I found out that um, there were potentially 200,000 Americans looking for each other, and there was no online website. And so I thought, well, I can start it. And we have already managed to reunite a few people from a home in Long Island, and their joy at being reunited, these are the people that hold their history. It was so profound. So um, we started the Family Tree Project, and you can go to sharedabundance.us, and we will post your photo. It's a free service. We'll post your photos, the name of the home, and the years you were there. And in conjunction with that, the design firm Desiron, um, which is in Soho, New York, um, Frank Carfaro, is helping us to uh, create a photo exhibit um, with the children of the various homes. And it's going to be a traveling photo exhibit. We're going to have alumni of U.S. orphanages uh, there to speak for themselves. And um, we're going to to, um, raise the awareness and um, hopefully uh, start to reunite 200,000 Americans. And we're very excited about it. Mm. All right. What else do you want us to know about the Family Tree Project in terms of how you put that together? Well, um, what I would love for everyone listening, it seems like when this conversation starts, there's always someone whose uncle or neighbor or parent grew up in a U.S. orphanage. If you do know someone like that, to please tell them to go to sharedabundance.us that that it does exist and that we would love to reunite them. It's a free service. And um, we would like um, people to know that um, for too long, the older alumni have not had a voice. Um, I kept being told by them that they re- they're very reluctant to talk because we bombard them with our pity. And uh, we don't understand that the, the childhoods they had, um, for the most part, were actually good, or uh, at best, just like ours. And um, so we're hoping that one of the byproducts of this entire project is that we start a national conversation that has more to do with reality and less to do with fiction. Mm. 
So I think the other, the other part of this is the hope because so many people, not so many, but people I've talked to, and it's kind of sad that when they were in orphanages as children and the orphanages burned down or there were other issues where they were closed down, and they don't have their records, Martha. And when you ask them, you know, their ethnicity, they might have been adopted and they don't know. Right. And um, at least what we will be able to do is to reunite them with the you know, it's, it's, um, it is something to have the people who hold your history around you and who can finish your sentences and who remember. That's, you know, all of us know that we may be, our body may be a certain age, but the person within is still about 10 years old. And it is something to be reunited with those people who remember all those great memories. These are, by the way, these are people who are searching for others they may not have seen for 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. And there was a a gentleman out of Florida uh, in his early 80s. His daughter said that he had never spoken about his childhood. He had grown up at the home on Long Island, and um, he had never said a single word. We reunited him with three people he grew up with, and she said he, um, it's just, Something opened up inside of him, and it changed the the end of his life. And um, that is an amazing thing to be able to do. And our eventual goal is to hold regional um, alumni parties and to um, be able to uh, partake in the joy. And uh, we're so thrilled. Frank Carfaro and I, we're so thrilled to um, be able to have any part of it and to um, be able to bring joy to people's lives just by... Reuniting them. You know, we all think about reuniting biological parents with the children they may have given up for adoption. Mm. I don't think it ever occurred to us to reunite people um, who grew up together in orphanages. They Mm -hmm. consider each other family. And so the definition of family has been redefined. Well, we have a couple minutes left. So quickly, discuss the hybrids, which is a cross between a public school and an orphanage. In a couple of minutes. Um, okay. Um, that is a great, the Maya Angelou School in um, D.C. Is, an, is a great example, and the Seed School in, D, in Washington, D.C. Um, those were um, uh, examples where some enterprising people saw the chance to take um, what could work in their community. Um, part, certain parts of D.C. are, um, as we all know, kind of violent. And so what they did was they combined um, a charter school with a boarding element, and the children are able to come to school Monday through Friday, and no one is turned down because it is a public school, and uh, no one has to come up with funding because it is public. And what they've seen is the the rate of graduation and um, kids going on to college has vastly and um, the children are um, becoming better educated in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. That can only help the neighborhood that they're going to return to. Yeah, excellent. And, um, and so my point, I guess, of that is that um, in your local community, you can take um, the best parts of um, orphanages and um, see what can be done. 600,000. Okay. There is a place for each person to contribute. Thank you so much. Thanks, Martha, for coming on the program. Oh, absolutely. It was Thank really, you for it was really inspirational. The work you're doing really needs to be praised because you're helping so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you. My guest today has been Martha Carr, 
Her book is a place to call home, The Amazing Success Story of Modern Orphanages. You can log on to sharedabundance.us, and there's a place where you can email, certainly if you want to connect people uh, or you want to help somebody who needs a, a, a really wonderful place to be. And the former orphanages are now residential facilities, and they are producing children and students who are becoming very responsible citizens, thanks to a lot of work being done by a lot of people and books like Martha's book, A Place to Call Home, that's letting people know about all this. Folks, remember, as I say each week, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. You can log on to my website, Patricia at RaskinResources.com. Write to me, Patricia at RaskinResources.com. Log on to my site. My show is on VoiceAmerica.com, and it is uh, always archived on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Until next Monday, same time, same place. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next week on Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.